right now you've said if you want to make shoes, just go make shoes. Okay, well, what if everybody wants to make shoes? The only system that doesn't work if everyone's on board is let's all just do nothing. Any, any fascist is really just kind of an honest communist. Freedom to do what everyone else is okay with is not freedom. Philosophers. Philosophers. I got something for us to talk about today, David. Oh, dear. Well, it's about communism again. <laughs> Our favorite topic. Yeah. Except for the other topics. Yeah. Um, But there's a couple things. So what got me on to this thread in my head about communism is a line in a song that I've also heard quoted, paraphrased in different ways, but... It's it's the like one liner critique of capitalism that every communist has to say in order to be indoctrinated fully into the, you know, brainwashed seminar of people that is communists. And it's this line of essentially capital or the global network of capital or some capitalism in some form essentially functions to separate workers from the means of production. And those, those phrases are always used like no one other than a communist or people talking about communism use the phrase means of production. That's true. Yeah. That, 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 that is exclusively used by communists and their cousins, socialists. Yes. Um, and by cousins, I mean like sisters cause they're very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. And slightly more than that use workers Mm-hmm. And not like the working class or something like that. Some other derived term. Right. Um, and then probably about the same number that use workers use capital. Yeah. Maybe maybe way. more. Like right. big financial firms also use capital, but... Not in the same way. Right. So I got to thinking about that and I was like, okay, so what do they mean... A, what, what does that even mean? Like, let's break it down. What does that even mean? Yep. Okay. So let's talk about what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay. The global network of capital. Okay. Global network. That's pretty easy to define. Yeah. Lots, lots of different entities connected across the world. Sure. Okay. Capital. Capital. What is that? What is that actually? It it depends on who you ask and in what context. What do they mean? Like, what does a communist usually mean when they say capital? Money. Not money, yes. Uh, I guess the most charitable way I would put it is m- like lendable money. Right, liquid money. Liquid money, yeah. Yeah. Not assets, money. 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 <laughs> money. Yes. Um... So essentially functions, we all know what that means. Like it, it's primary purpose or that's what it does. Um, yeah, sure. That's fine. Yeah. Um, is separate the worker. So who's the worker? People who don't have capital. <laughs> Arguably, <laughs> yes. That's what a capitalist would say. Or sorry, what a, what a communist, what a communist would, say. would say. But I think there's also this romantic image of the worker as the person who they don't have capital, but what they want to mean further than that is this is a person who produces things. Yeah, the person who actually does work to make a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They make a thing and they, 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 they yield something physical. Usually right, the guy operating the machine or hoeing the field or whatever 
the thing. Yeah. And then what is the means of production? Because this is the one where I think most communists would disagree until you actually have them follow the thread out and they realize, okay, yeah, that is what I mean. What is the means of production? Okay, well, the most obvious thing that people go to to complain about the means of production means like the business itself, like the machines and stuff like that. Right. But, and I think that's what it means, but I think a lot of them would say, yeah, they don't own the business that they work in. But essentially the thing that, you know, the capital was needed for to exist in the first place Mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist in a vacuum. And arguably it does exist in a vacuum when you are looking at something like farming. Sure. The land is there. That is the means of producing food. Realistically. And seeds. True. So I guess, so the the worker is the effort. Mm -hmm. The means of production is everything else that when effort is applied yields a refined product. Right. The ingredients. Yeah. The ingredients, the process, the land, the factory, the whatever. Everything that without effort will not yield anything, but with effort will yield product. Those are the means of production. Mm -hmm. That's what they mean. So how does, what do they mean by separating the effort from the things that if you were to add effort would yield product? What do they mean by separate? I guess now we have to go back to that word. Well, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, essentially the, the thesis here is, is that, yeah, the workers are separated from the means of production because rather than owning these means of productions themselves, the workers are instead paid for their time and labor. Um, so rather than owning the actual product that they create, they just earn a wage for the effort that they put in. And then the business owner, the capitalist, if you will, um, owns the product. So this is where it gets kind of interesting to me because the means of production and the product are not the same thing. No. So the land and the seeds are not the food. Right. So hypothetically, it's totally fine with a communist if the worker never gets the product, as long as they own the means by which those products are generated. Technically. Obviously not. If we go, if we use this one sentence to summarize all of communism. Sure. Yes. Which they don't mean. But I, but I also think that most communists wouldn't care if they didn't own the means of production, but they were able to walk away with the product in the end. Mm-hmm. That, so that's why it's weird to me. Like, if, of these two things, if I take one away, they'll squeal. If I take the other away, they're fine, right? Like, imagine that I said, okay, you can come work in my shoe factory. You will not own the shoe factory, but you will own every shoe that you produce from the shoe factory. Right, you can just come to my factory and make as many shoes as you want, and they're yours, yeah. Yeah, well, I, but you also need to bring the materials. Yeah, I don't think any communist would complain. Honestly, like they would be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> well, fine. yeah, because you're just providing them a free service that, or like a free facility. Please come here and use my machines for free. Yeah, right. No one, no one in their right mind would ever complain about that. Hence my main issue with communists is that they want that, but they don't want the other. So they're not willing to give anything for the access to the machines. But that's not the point, I guess, right now. But that also got me to thinking about the next thing is, okay, so how do you satisfy this person, right? How do we... We often talk about how communism is a bad idea. But could it exist? What would it take to exist 
And would it be sustainable at all if you met all the conditions they were looking for? Because most communists don't just argue that it could exist. They argue that it's the way to exist, right? So they presuppose that it's possible in the first place. And then they go forward to say everyone should should be doing this, right? And I think the biggest criticism that they get, I think there's two primary criticisms. One is that pr the practical criticisms of this is difficult, this is blah, blah, blah. This leads to a dictator, like, you know, all these things that we've seen play out, the practical effects of communism always yield up with these things. And those mm. are the initial complaints. But no one ever argues with them that it can't exist. So let's not presuppose today. Let's talk about could it exist at okay. all? Like, do you think that communism, the way the communist imagines the communism being, could actually exist for a moment or any period of time? Are you just asking I'm me? I'm asking that? you. Yeah. Like, do you think it could even exist at all? I think anything can exist for a moment. Any like social structure can exist for a moment. Sure. I, I agree. I mean, realistically, I think all you really need to, and then I guess the question I becomes, can be king for a moment. Um, Regicide, <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah, I can be king of you know my house Onia until someone stops me. I can me. be king of the neighborhood until someone stops me or the city. Yeah, I can just keep going for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Um but what would you have to give up? Cuz I think that's the other thing too is they say it would exist. But I think there's and people also again they come back with a criticism of like this leads to a dictator or whatever blah blah blah. We usually pick out the worst things that can happen that always happen when you have communism. It's not that they only sometimes I mean, every time you have it on a large scale like that, you end up with a dictator and a bunch of dead people. But on the small scale, like, like, but what are you giving up to make that happen? And that's what I started thinking about. And that takes me back to the original premise of this question of where we broke down that sentence. What are you, what is the benefit of having a capitalist? What are they actually giving you? You know, what, what, is, what are people benefiting from from the system of capitalism that you would not be benefiting from in a system of communism? And this is why I think it was very important to bring up the money part of it. Because I haven't actually gotten a good answer from a communist about whether or not money is capital or if it's just lendable money. I would argue that most communists, if they sat down and thought about it long enough, anytime you have liquidity, like liquidity, like liquid money, you're going to have capitalism. Like it is not just ne necessary for capitalism. It is sufficient for capitalism. Yeah. And it will happen if you let people have money. So, or in some ways, right. Um, so I think you would be best getting rid of it if you wanted to have a purely communist system, right? Because the, the utopia they talk often tout is a cashless society. Mm -hmm. No money needed, my friend. You know, it's like the factory example given from before. If you want to make shoes and be a shoemaker, okay, make shoes and then just give them away. When you get hungry, go to the food maker. They will just give you food. If you get sick, go to the doctor. They will give you health. And if everybody just gives everybody everything, then you'll always have what you need and you'll always provide what everyone else needs. And then 
arguably that's true technically yes if all those things happen then those consequences will follow yes yes the the sticky part is getting all those things to happen right and i think this is where i usually start to like it's weird where a lot of these hypotheticals come from because the my favorite time this hypothetical has occurred was when someone asked me well how would your ancap which is how they described it world even work like who does this who who gets that you know how do you not just shoot each other over anything? Like, blah, 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 right? This all, that, that I was getting grilled about that. Okay. And I had answers. I was like, well, that's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, how are you going to find a place to live? Well, arguably, someone's going to rent you a place. They will take money for that. Like, where, where do I get that money? Well, there's going to be people that want other things. Go make things and get money and then use that to facilitate. Like, it's, I, obviously, there are problems with it, but the core mechanic of, well, money, that's how. Like, yeah. There you go. Very similar to how it works right now. Yeah. Okay. And they're like, but then when I turn around and ask the same question, I'm like, okay, so you have your anarcho commune, right? They're like, yep. I said, what happens when no one wants to dig the crapping trench? Because guess what? You have to have a place to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So whose job is that? Because right now you've said, if you want to make shoes, just go make shoes. Okay. Well, what if everybody wants to make shoes? Who's going to grow food? What if no one wants to grow food? Why would they? Like, because hear me out, being a farmer is hard. Yes. It sucks. <clears throat> yeah. And ultimately, what, like, the, 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 the only logical place I see that going is, well, enough people start getting hungry and they say, okay, well, someone's going to make food. So, um, well, okay, there, there could be some noble few among them who are like, okay, we're all going to starve if we don't. So, uh, fine, I guess I'll volunteer to do it. That's a very optimistic outlook. Um, but hear me out. That's, I think possible, possible. Yes. Um, possible, so, but optimistic. The other way is that <clears throat> a critical mass of the hungry go after a minority and say, you guys are going to make the food or else. Right. So let's stay on the happy path. Cause remember, we're trying yes. to see how this would work. So let's say you have those few that are like, okay, fine. We're going to make the food. What happens when they don't make enough food? Who gets the food? Well, arguably the farmers do, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's the fruit of their labor, right? Right. So, so they should get it. So they're going to eat. So then how, then who gets to decide who gets the rest of the who food? Who among the rest, of, first come, first served, I guess. If the system is you show up and get your free stuff. Mm -hmm. But say in your little community, you have three farmers, a shoemaker. This is going to be a very simple community. Yes. Uh, I'll even simplify it further. You have a, you have three farmers. You have three clothes makers, you have three carpenters, and three doctors. Okay. I think that's enough. You, you could subsist on a society like that. that. That's generally enough. Like, you wouldn't have a whole lot, but then no one would die, I think, if you had all of that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to assume water is freely available. You don't have a water well digger. You know, that's not their job. You know? Yeah. So you, you live you, next to a river. Yeah. So, But there's only enough food. So how many is that? There's, what, five rolls, three... Of each, fifteen. Four. Four rolls, three of each, twelve. Food make clothes makers, house makers, doctors. Yeah, okay. So twelve. There's twelve people. Mm -hmm. But you only have enough food to feed six. Who who gets to decide? So we've already decided, remember, the the worker seized the means of production in this case. So the farmers have the food. It's 
theirs, although private property is inherently theft. But we'll say for the sake of argument, logistically speaking, they are the ones having... The moment the food gets made, it's in their care. They have it. It's in their care. Also, if the farmers starve, there will be no more food. So as a practical societal measure, we can just agree that the farmers get to eat first. Yeah, but there's three of them. True, we can let two of them die. Arguably. But then the question becomes, who gets to decide who gets food? Now, you could say, well, any good communist regime or socialist regime will be democratic. Does everyone get one vote? I vote for me to get food. Yeah. Okay. So we've all... Congratulations. We've gotten nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a a legitimate question. Who gets the food? Because remember, in this perfect communist utopia, no one's going to murder anybody. No one's going to use force to separate the worker from the means of production with the gun. Right. Because remember, there's no guns. There's no gun maker. So (laughs) yeah, there's no gun maker. So no guns. So with fist, you know, and it's a legitimate question. Now, arguably, you could say that any good communist regime where everyone's a good communist would go, well, we all acknowledge that there's not enough food for everybody. So we need to make the best choice for the society as is. Do we really need three doctors for 12 people? Probably not. All right. We're picking one of you. One of you gets food. Okay, so now you have five people. So now four people get food. Well, we need at least one carpenter. We'll have nowhere to live. So, sorry, two carpenters. Mm-hmm. So now there's five people that have food. So do you pick one clothes maker? Yeah, clothes are not that essential. Anyone can pretty much make their own clothes. Actually, you know what? We're going to keep one of the other carpenters and get rid of You know, the say there could even be a logical discussion around that where you're not picking who just yet. You're just voting on... Picking on a number. Okay, now we know that this many doctors and carpenters have to go right and now that you've decided that are we just gonna have a lottery to see who loses yeah no you vote again because now we're gonna go by class as a good communist society would Mm. okay so now these 12 people each get to vote for a doctor and we're gonna keep doing this until one doctor wins and then the other two starve to death and they're gonna accept it because they're good communists but you know what? I'm glad that we've proven that communism can work. Yes. Until next year. When now you only have six people. And at some point, I think you'll reach the natural... You'll get to a point where it's pretty much every ANCAP's dream of being an individual, self-sufficient, farmer, doctor, carpenter, clothesmaker person. Because, well, we didn't feed those guys last year, so they all died. You know, but I still want clothes, but I still want clothes. So I guess I'm going to make those. I myself. guess I'm going to have to make them. Yeah. So arguably, yes, it could exist. And and don't be wrong. I understand that it, that's a very simple, you know, analogy. Yes, obviously, this is very academic. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't play out that way. But we've already heard all the complaints about practical things. Right. Right. I'm saying let's keep the communists happy. Let's actually have a 12 people that died in the red comrades that will make it work, you know. Um, but that's what you end up with if everyone's actually like that, because things do happen, right? Um, and to be fair, I suppose, you know, in a capitalist society, how would this work out? Well, arguably, it's it's dis- it's still decided by everybody, just not at a committee meeting. Mm-hmm. It's just figured out by capital. So it's like if you're the farmer, okay. Obviously, I'm going to eat first. I'm going to eat my food before I sell it to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
I'm going to sell it to those whose services I need the most. Well, if I'm not ever sick, sorry, right. sorry, doctor. I need a house though, so I'm going to pay the carpenter. Pay the carpenter. I really don't have time to make clothes because I'm making all this food, so I'm going to keep a clothes maker around. And so you can end up with different problems. But the difference is, is that if there are three farmers and they make, if they don't make enough food for everybody, then, well, you can choose to be a farmer now. And arguably that you could say that could happen in a communist society too, but you don't know till harvest time that there's not enough food, really. Mm -hmm. you, you might know sooner than that, but... But again, remember, in a communist society, you know, I guess you're faced with the same problem. You're just doing it for different reasons. But no, you're doing it for the same reason. It's just the mechanics are different. Because arguably, in a communist society, people are smart enough to know, well, you know what? There's plenty of clothes already made. So I'm a worker and I just want to work. So I guess, you know, what? I'll go be a farmer because I need to work. And that's what work needs doing. Is that how that works? I suppose if you are the best kind of communist, then yes, you'll just do what needs doing. Right. But at some point, you know, maybe it would make more sense to have someone who really just knows what needs doing. Like, why don't we just get together and plan it? And then we realize that having all 12 people come to the planning meeting every week to plan what everyone does is really inefficient. So why don't Silly, we just have yeah. one guy who does all the planning? And that's what he does. And then you end up with a dictator essentially because they plan everything and everyone's on board with it early on until there's no one to check his plans. So now we need a planner that keeps an eye on the planner and they're all voted on. But you see what I mean? Like it, it grows out from there. So to be fair, and I know we, we deride communists a lot, but yes, their system can work technically as long as everyone's technically. Yes. Metaphysically. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of interesting because any philosophy really is that way. You can have a Christian monarchy and work great. If every, even any, any system where everyone's on board, it's going to work. It really doesn't matter what it is. You could have a fascist dictatorship. But yeah, the only system that doesn't work if everyone's on board is let's all just do nothing right. and hope for the best. Like that's not going to work, but yeah, but nobody wants to do that. And everyone knows that that's not going to work, but mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, basically any system that somebody comes up with that they think might work, if everybody's on board with it, they can probably make it work. Yeah, in some way. Right. And so I think that's where we always end up in a position where we talk about efficiency, because one of the things that's it's not a zero sum game, but it absolutely exists as wastes. Like there is a waste attached to facilitating human society. Like any system in which people would need to coordinate every time those people are coordinating, they may be coordinating to have further better yields than if they would have not coordinated, but the in that there's a momentary loss while you're spending time coordinating and not being immediately productive. And that's not to say that you can't go be more productive after coordinating, but there's a momentary loss. And so the goal eventually is to be, you know, coordinating as least as possible but knowing what everyone's role is to do. And I think arguably that's the best argument for capitalism is that there is no committee meeting required. It, the market tells you because people were willing to pay for what they want. And it's not an, you can negotiate price, but that's a different thing. 
but negotiating whether or not someone even goes to make the thing in the first place it isn't a negotiation you know whereas with things like communism eventually you'll get to the point where you need a planner especially when you start to scale up and i would say you know that's an obvious problem that it it's easier for everyone to be on the same page if ever if there's 12 of you 24 it's still maybe doable but as soon as you start crossing into triple digits even it starts to get hard to get everyone on the same page mm-hmm. and you know what makes things going a lot easier when you start having triple digits of people and more if there's a charismatic leader that really kind of helps motivate everybody to be on the same page you know it's almost like human beings are kind of primed for a dictatorship almost like we, it just kind of makes sense to us to have that by the fact of how we're not all equally socially capable. It's kind of a weird thing to think about. Well, and we're also lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, okay, nobody would ever, okay, only, only the most naive would phrase it this way, but I think anyone who gets frustrated with like politics and, and how society works kind of deep down wishes, you know, why can't somebody come along and just fix all these problems? Right. And just decide how this is going to work. It's a very easy thing to just in, in exhaustion wish for. And someone is happy to take that role. If you let him, Right. And in, and in any system of human interaction, consent is easy to give, but hard to ask for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it makes sense that... Right, the, because yeah, if I go out in the, the, the proverbial town square and say, why don't you just let me be king? Then nobody wants to do that. Yeah, but if the whole society is like, we just need water. We're out of water all the time. And someone says... If you follow my rule, I will promise you the water. If you now, get, people start listening. Yeah, yeah, and if you, yeah, I can solve your problem if you just lend your ear in time and give me the tr- power to do it. Um, which I think in our example from before, that's kind of like totally ready to go in communism because there is no signal out there beyond the group on what to do. But even in those negotiations, right? So you assemble the 12 townspeople together. or Let's pick it a triple digits, like I said. The 100 townspeople together, you know, some of them are going to have ideas about how you can fix this. But none of them are willing to be the one to make anyone else do it. But all it takes is one person to stand up and say, I can solve the problem if you all just do what I say. I promise that I will fix it and then you will need to worry about it no more that's a hard bargain to give up initially when you're in need, you know? And then if that person stands up and everyone's like, yep, we're going to vote to give them the ability to do that. And they say, okay, now that I have the power to do this, I'm so sorry, but as your leader, I need to keep the rest of us safe. So I need to take five of you into the mines and we're going to find water or we're going to dig until we find water. And he picks five people and those five people are like, but I don't want to, but the rest of it's easy for the other 94 people who aren't the leader or the five selected Uh to just kind of look the other way and go, well, we're not enslaving them. It's that guy, but he's promising us in the water. So we're, we're weighing it out in our heads. Well, and you need to do your part comrade comrade. Yeah. Yeah. 
but in reality you are enslaving them you're give you're the leader is using your consent to enslave them not his will he's using the collective will that he has garnered to do that you're allowing it you allowing it to happen is one thing you giving your consent to a central authority figure who then uses it to do something you don't approve of you do approve of it though tacitly by not resisting yes and any good communist would agree with me on that because that's exactly how they feel about everything that happens in a capitalist society you know oh you know you you support the the wall street because you give your money to them you know you you know you by being the company man are supporting the system you're giving it the power that it wants you know look at how they treat because there's often you know the small groups in which you can find communism pop up like labor unions are like the main place to find communism or socialism right because it's these people that are like man i am sick and tired of a six day work week or whatever and someone sends up like hey i can get us a five day work week you know Mm -hmm. and they all step away look at how they treat the people look at how they treat scabs you know what a scab is? Are you familiar with the term? Mm, remind me. So a scab is a person. So say a, a a steel mill goes on strike. Anybody, the steel mill will respond by saying, using capitalism, by saying, okay, cool. Well, I was paying these people $12 an hour, but now I have none of them and I have orders to fill. So I'll start paying 15 an hour for anybody willing to go back to work right now. Okay, yeah. Now, this is not what the people wanted. They're not usually... More money is always what they want, but it's usually something else, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who breaks with them or comes from outside the striking group to fill those spots, thus invalidating the effectiveness of the strike, is a scab. They're they're stopping the bleeding. That's why they're called that, Mm -hmm. I think. The bleeding Um, of the company, yeah. Yeah. And my guy, you want to talk about violence... And yeah, there's violence used by the company on strikers a lot of the time because strikers don't just stop working. They usually will pick it and try to keep scabs out. That's a thing that happens. They will blockade, try to blockade the building to keep people from going in. Um, But if you're a scab and you show up, I mean, there have been people who have been killed for doing sure. that, you know? So... I mean, it's the same thing, I think, ultimately, at the end of the day. You know, that charismatic boss figure, you know, who's negotiating on behalf of the working people. Like, if you, if they're going after the scabs because, well, we got to keep the strike effective, strike effective, comrade, you're consenting to that by striking with them, you know. Um, and I get, and so, like, that's why I'm saying it with, you know, the communists would say, yeah, it's absolutely worth it to, you know, if, if, you, if you're a scab aligning with the company, then you're hurting everybody else by giving your, like giving your time to them. And, you know, they, they, the scab may have nothing to do with the negotiation, right? Like they're, they're not striking. They're not the company. They're just a person trying to go work, you know, but they're lending their consent to the company by accepting their dirty money to do the, take the job of someone else. Right. And so, bit hypocritical a bit hypocritical maybe you know in my opinion to to say otherwise but it's true um 
how, how people how they feel about it and it's the same way when you have a group of people allowing essentially slavery to happen by just standing by and saying well i benefit you know um i just think the difference is is that in these other systems you know they elect a person to do that whereas in capitalism what's really unique about it is that people are doing the same thing but they're actually paying for it out of pocket and your resistance is just withholding your dollar Mm -hmm. just don't spend you're literally not supporting it if you're not spending money for it you have that individual right to withhold like if like if, if for example you know like anybody who buys apple products that are made in sweatshops are supporting child labor Mm -hmm. child slave labor you just are you know and you should feel bad about it frankly you're literally paying for it to happen in exchange for your iphone which you can use to criticize child labor on twitter yes and capitalism exactly um how would they let's let's continue with this hypothetical of uh, let's do let's use the same premise i guess you know um what a totally like let's get a hundred people who are all on board for fascism together to go make a fascist thing work how would that work well i think we may have already seen this movie before maybe <laughs> how's it start <laughs> hmm so you mean like okay a uh, hundred person society decides we're going to be fascist yeah they're all already fascist they move out together to be fascist together they they, they go out onto the frontier well, first they make uniforms it's very important that ev- they let everybody know how they feel about it yeah <laughs> Like, what else is characteristic of fascists, though? Besides just they're bad, because that's the easiest classification, I suppose. Well, they're nationalistic. True. So um, they'll be very proud and of the thing that they've got in their little stand. And they will they will make decisions in <clears throat> they will make decisions in the interest of the nation for that reason. Um all right, so let's see. So according to Wikipedia, it's characteri- fascism is characterized by a dictatorial leader, centralized autocracy, militarism, forcible suppression of the opposition, belief in a natural social hierarchy, subordination of individual interest for the perceived good of the nation and race, mm-hmm. and strong regimentation of society and the economy. So they would get together and just... Ad- I think any honest fascist is any any fascist is really just kind of an honest communist if i was putting it that way we are all doing this for the sake of the society right Mm -hmm. they all they so far communist society and fascist society both agree this is about the good of us right we're doing this for each other the communists will start democratically until they realize that's logistically heavy the fascists say it's logistically heavy to do all this let's just pick a dear leader and it should be the person who cares the most about the state or the most about us. And so whichever one of them can get up there and charismatically like convince the others that I care the most about fascism land and I will make it a great fascism land. We will be the best fascism land in the world. We are the greatest fascist, you know, fist, fist held high, maybe or maybe not has a sash. I don't know. Like, and everyone's like, yep, this person has our interest at heart and they direct everything and they, and they say, okay, we're going to, I'll collect all the things and redistribute them. And, 
it may not even be in your individual best interest that you may get less than what you would have gotten if you were alone, but the society will be better. Right. It's for the greater good. It's for the greater good. You know, whereas the communist says, okay, well, we, this is really complicated. We need a planner. And the planner says, okay, well, how can I do my job? And my job is if everyone's interests are served the best. So arguably, and, and in the communist society, the idea is that everyone benefits, but if everybody is the state, right, we're mm-hmm. all, we're all members of the party, arguably. Comrade. Comrade. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes comrade, you may need to eat a little less tonight for the good of the party so that everyone else can eat. And ultimately the promises made by both are essentially the same at the beginning. The fascist leader will guarantee a full, a full belly for everyone, a home for everyone. Communist leader will promise the same and they will achieve those means the same way. I don't care if I have to put a gun to someone's head to make them build that house. Everyone's getting a house. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think the difference is, is that, there's actually nothing that directly necessitates communism spread where I feel like fascism has to spread because they're morally correct. By their own framework. By their own framework, they are morally right. They're militaristic. They need to grow the society. They need mm-hmm. to make the well, nation better. for the better. society that it expands, right? Usually, Yes. Now, the fascist is okay achieving this by any means necessary, even if it's temporarily worse. You know, like... Right, war today for prosperity tomorrow. Right, like we may go to war to seize those iron mines, but when we have those iron mines, we will be... We'll be be rich. We'll be rich, yes. And then once they have the iron mines, it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Right. And uh, technically, there's no real necessity... Like, there's nothing baked into fascism that has to do... Like, I, there is a tendency, I think, for fascism to get lopped in with racism and, you know, anti-Semitism, really, historically. Like, Yeah, because the, histor- the, the, yeah, the historical cases did involve that, but that's not necessarily a core feature of fascism. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, it, you can be ethnocentrically fascist, but you don't have to be. Right, but we could also just be plain old fascists, just hardcore nationalists yeah right um so i guess as long as the communist doesn't want to do anything to benefit the nation they so you're just an ineffective fascist when it comes to the when it comes down to the framework of the fascist understanding of doing what it takes to make the society as best as it could be the communist either doesn't care about that and the fascist thinks that they're weak or the communist does care about that and they're actually just fascists but they don't call themselves that you know what I mean? Right. They just use different imagery and, <laughs> but they both have charismatic leaders. They're very militaristic. They glorify their military leaders and service, you know, cause that, you know, that, that's a thing like probably like one of the most iconic. And when I say iconic, I mean like it's built to be this way. Military uniforms in history was like the Vauban SS uniform. Like everybody knows what that uniform looks like, but most people also know what a Soviet uniform looks like. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of the same too. Just olive drab. and has that nice red stripe down the side and the, yes. the circle in the top. Yeah. Just so they're just, just goes to show. Pure like, coincidence. Pure coincidence that they both have really, really recognizable uniforms. Chinese as well. Yeah. Well, the Chinese uniform is the communist uniform. The one exception is the leader. 
who wears the Chairman Mao jacket, that gray worker's jacket, you know, Workers of the World Unite. That's what I've always heard it called. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But... Okay, so pretty much fascism and communism don't turn out the same way. Just one's maybe a little bit more effective and honest about trying to expand and do what they think is, quote, best for the... One is doing what's best for the nation, which, by the way, is the people in that nation. Like, don't get it twisted. That's what fascism Right, the nation doesn't actually exist. Yeah. Yeah. Communists say, we're going to do what's good for the people, i.e. of our nation. Fascists are also going to do what's good for the people, i.e. their nation. Now, I guess the other thing that might be a little bit different is communists are much more willing to except with open arms, other people willing to be communists too. Like mm. say, for example, there were two, there was the communist village and then there's like a capitalist village next door. Um, if the communist village hears about a bunch of other communists in that other village that want to be free, they may liberate those workers. That's the way they would see it. Right. And bring them into the fold under one communist banner, but they would welcome the other communists with open arms and then strongly encourage, we'll say, the other non-communists to be communist now. Right. Whereas the fascist will look at may, the, may look at the neighboring society as an outgroup and not actually want to integrate them, just want to take over their resources. Yeah, and eradicate them if possible. Right. You know, if and they're the, in the way. If yeah. they're in the way. Well, it, or make them into the nation, right? And by that yeah, I mean or, or assimilate them, yeah. Yeah. And by that I don't mean like the American assimilation way where you your culture lends something to the broader American zeitgeist culture, and then, but you also pick up American all, traits. You, yeah, yeah. You need to you need to agree to the like, I forget how many there are handful of American axioms that make American society what it is. Agree to these, and then you can do whatever you want, and you're an American. Right. A uh, fascist society is presumably stricter than that. Yeah. Right, and would probably involve something like, we're going to take your children. And we're going to raise them to be us. And they're going to learn our values. They're going to fall into our structure. And they will never be good us, but their kids might be. You know what I mean? Like, it's generational. They have a lot of focus mm-hmm. on that. So I guess that is a pretty big difference between the communists and them. Is the communist, all you have to do is say you're a communist and be a good communist and they'll let you in. Whereas a fascist, it's like, you're not of the nation. You are not of us. You know, you will always be other. But one day your kids might be us. Maybe if they're not too impure and it depends on how far they take that line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the underlying motives of the fascist leaders. Yeah. Right. Cause like in Germany, for example, when Germany went fascist, there was a unified German identity by that time. Mostly mm-hmm. like there was the German identity, but arguably imagine if Prussia and Germany existed Prussia and like all the other Germanic states existed. Prussia could have been fascist and it's arguable as to whether or not they would have thought of Prussian fascism as the same as all Germanic fascism. Mm -hmm. It's arguable. Like even if you look at the way that Germany treated Austria because Austria is kind of German but it's not just German. It's like five distinct ethnic groups lopped together to make the Austrian you know Mm -hmm. identity. They were keen on the other German parts. They weren't so keen on the others, you know. And so it depends. And and really, it's like whatever the leader or whatever the group thinks is the group, you know. Who is us? What is our identity? And I think that's why it's so charismatically based. It's very identitarian in that way. You know, very, very strong emphasis on the identity. But the issue is that they... 
there is one good and the rest are bad or worse. And there might be varying degrees of worse, but they're all worse, you know. And maybe that's where you end up with like the racism or the ethnocentrism. But it would be curious to see like what hap- what would happen if there was Austrian fascism where you have five distinct ethnic groups that all agree that we're Austrian. What does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean to be Austrian? Yeah, would they take each of the things out of their culture that like would the Austrian identity consist of things that they only shared and would it be a small enough identity where it's like as long as you share these traits you can be us and how many traits do you have to eliminate before you're just communist because everyone is us Mm -hmm. the workers of the world you know right I don't know Hmm. interesting to think about yes I think it's pretty easy to say how monarchies would have existed because that's kind of where they came from. Yeah, that literally did happen for most of history, yeah. Yeah, if you have enough people in a group, one person just convinces the others that I'm right, period. It's not about us, the group, I'm right. <laughs> like, it's just, gu- it's not guided by anything and usually kept by the sword or the church, you know. Right. And that brings us, I think, to liberal democracies, mm. which are interesting. How do those work? It's yeah, like you have everyone who buys into, yep, the democracy is right. Like, you know, everybody gets a vote. We're all citizens of this thing. We don't, we're not necessarily nationalistic. We're not necessarily fascistic or communist because we don't have like a central identity. The identity really just is, we just want to survive and thrive eventually. So capitalism makes a good economic system because as long as things are fine, the government doesn't really care, Mm -hmm. right? So it's agnostic to the economic system, mostly. Until there are We're all going to do our thing, but we're going to vote on things that we think affect the whole society. And that's, I think, I think you said it just right. Things we think affect the whole society is the exact way to phrase that. Well, yes. No one's going to vote on something they don't think is going to affect the society. Yeah, but it also doesn't even have to actually affect the whole society. Well, no. They just have to think it does. Yes. And that's where you get this weird, it depends area. It really depends on the group dynamic, don't it? <laughs> um. So if you have like a group of people that all just want to make the society work, it's like, well, what do those other people care about? You know? It gets kind of personal. I think this is why you see like religiously led movements in liberal democracies. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's religious voting blocks because they do have an opinion about how they think things should be, but it conflicts with others. And there's like this back and forth between. Now, now I think the one way in which it would be different is that every good person who believes in the liberal democracy would accept the results of any election blindly. Like they would say, I don't care if I didn't vote for this. I am going to subject myself to this because I know that I want others to subject themselves to this if I do win, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't accept it, then you don't believe in the in the democracy, and so the whole thing is a farce. Right. It's like we're all going to get together and vote on stuff, but nobody actually cares what the vote, what the outcome of the election was. Then what's the point in voting? Yeah. Right. This is yeah. This is actually just anarchism because <laughs> we're just going to do whatever. Right. Anyway. But then you get to this weird point where what if like 55% of the population, let's go back to our Austrian example. So the vast majority of Austrian, the Austrian influence was Germanic. Mm -hmm. 
But there is like five others. I'm not a history expert either, so don't at me on this. So we'll make up fake ones. Let's use religions. That's an easy one. Yes. Everyone knows the religions of the world. So let's take the top five by population, I guess. Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, uh, not Buddhism. Uh, Hinduism. Hinduism. Then I think it's Buddhism. Something else. Let's just use the Jews because they're always represented in the group. Okay, cool. Make it easy. Not necessarily in that order, by the way. Not necessarily in that order, but we'll say that that's those are the five. Um, so there are going to be things that the monotheistic religions can all thumbs up and get on board with. Mm -hmm. But not everything. Different religions have different ideas about things like, oh, I don't know, like women's rights. Mm -hmm. So modern, most modern Christians kind of don't care what they wear. Like they, they may be like, mild on modesty they're like eh, you know maybe no ludity whatever that means whatever that means like cover the baby making related parts the baby related parts we'll say because mm -hmm. that tends to be what they mean i guess i could see you know i i don't know what the hindu stance on modesty is to be honest me neither but I've never heard anyone complain, so I assume they don't. They kind of don't care. I don't know that I would assume that, but maybe not. Mm. Well, let's just pick the one. The group. Let, let, let's pretend they don't. Let's pretend so they don't. For, for, to, to illustrate this example, let's pretend that they don't. Hindus don't care about. Or that. I'll just go the opposite. Certain Muslim groups have a very strong, and certain Christian groups too have very strong opinions about female modesty. Mm -hmm. If 51% of the population says women should be forced to wear headscarves and cover their face and legs and down, you know, they should, you should not see anything but their eyes. Well, I guess if you're a good liberal Democrat, get, get dressed. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it's like, well, this is what people wanted. We're going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but next week it might be, oh, well. 51% of the population thinks that uh, we shouldn't allow Islamic prayer in school. Specifically. Specifically. Yeah, because you can actually just vote that, by the way. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Right, it's democracy. There's no guiding principle. Right. So, yeah, no more Islamic prayer in uh, in public at all, actually, we decided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, then they're the not rest of be... us, The rest of us don't like that, so... <laughs> but if they're good liberal Democrats, they'd be like, okay, well, fine. We won't then, yeah. You know what? Hey, anyone else getting really annoyed at these uppity Christians praying all over the place? What if we all banded together and banned theirs too? And now, and, and yeah, the dominoes fall and all prayer in public is banned, yeah. Eventually, yeah, okay. And then, I think if you just follow this logical train all the way to the end, everyone eventually votes out everything else that they don't literally do until you're left with only the things they agree on being allowed. Yes. And so you've given up way more than you got by the end of it. You've given up all of your freedoms except for the ones that everyone else agrees with to the point where you can almost barely function. Right, which means you, of course, have no freedom. Yeah. Right. But you're... Because, okay. like, freedom to do what everyone else is okay with is not freedom. Yeah, and it's a society that aims to make everyone happy. Or It's a society that aims to not offend anybody or, or cause any bothersomeness. Mm -hmm. 
and which itself is a huge burden a huge burden like we're, we're going to equally share everyone's burdens about everything eventually mm-hmm. now obviously you get what i think the united states had originally a the mitigating factor of we're going to outline a few values though because you can't just go into this valueless right mm-hmm. and arguably i think what's prevented other countries from slipping into this is that most of them are pretty ethnocentric um like a lot of people love to tout how awesome the nordic countries are until you realize that they're like 91% white or 91% swedes in sweden 95% norwegians in norway i know those are maybe higher than realistic numbers but for a long time they've all kind of felt like they were culturally the same they all kind of already did that by process of elimination and we're all cool with it so it's easy for them to just use their majority to just say eh we ain't we ain't keen on that we're just not gonna do it you know um there's a really interesting example of where this is a thing that happens all the time that pisses some people off in Thanks to our friend. I don't know if we've mentioned his channel yet. JJ McCullough. Is that his name? I think uh, a few weeks ago we may have mentioned. Anyway, yes. JJ McCullough. So he he he's, he's a, a painfully Canadian fellow. Painfully Canadian, <laughs> but we appreciate him. Um, he talks a lot about Quebecers um, because there's this Quebecois identity, the French Canadian identity, and they love to upset people because they're like aggressively french like i think they're like overcompensating for how not like french more french than actual french yeah, yeah. because they're like we got to stand out and be real french here <laughs> like uh because we're not it's anyway because we're not in france we're not in so, france we gotta yeah, france we have, even we have harder. something to prove yeah <laughs> yeah they're french with something to prove <laughs> which is dangerous by the way um if you ever have the, if the french ever need to prove something they're mm, you better watch out this has been the <laughs> They're on how many republics now to try to make that work. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I think there are ideas about banning like Muslim headdress because it's not French. And they actually are working really hard to protect their French identity and majority. Mm -hmm. And this is a thing that actually happens. Now, the rest of Canada is like, but bro, like, we're all cool with it. But if it was like... Yeah, there's this weird, like, tucked away into a rather large corner of Canada, like French nationalism, basically. (laughs) Yeah, very strong French nationalism. Like, these signs better be in French. We're not teaching schools. Even even outside of Quebec, yeah. Everywhere. I I better be able to go anywhere in Canada and see stuff in French. Yeah. Yeah, our politicians better deliver things in French. Like... We can veto any decision they make if it violates our French identity because we're so French and we we are we have the right. Okay, and they literally do. And they literally do on paper. Well, and they may in reality. We'll see. Um, it's weird the links that Canada is willing to go to to put up with them and not just let them be their own country. Like at some point, it's like, what? Why? Why do you even? Why care? don't you just be Fr- France too? Yeah. Yeah. Or just go join France. Just literally go be France. Like call France up and say, "Yo, can we just be you here?" And France would probably be like, "Sure, sure, whatever. <laughs> why not?" Um, be the French Australia. Oh God, <laughs> crikey! Actually, that's. <laughs> 
I wasn't I wasn't mentally prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pretty lax this episode. I've not been too for spicy, I don't think. So came out of nowhere on you. But essentially that's what you you know that that's what you get though, because there's already a well solidified identity that's exerting itself over the minority. And so I guess that's the other way you could go. So they, that's kind of standing in place of a constitution. It's We don't need to formally declare these things because we are all it. We all already are. The majority is already on the same page with what it means to be French. And so we'll just use our power of the vote to decide whether what you're asking for is French enough to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a country like the United States when I started out couldn't do that because there wasn't a... U- I don't think the original 13 colonies of the United States had a solid enough identity as America because there were so many different ones. And I think they were fractured enough that they already could see how that could go. And they all were just like, what if we just set up our own guiding principles that are not? Well, and I'm, I'm trying to think of like a parallel thing. Like what if the United States formed like, okay, what if, Spain allied with the American rebels and then like the continent of America was like the 13 British colonies. And then like the rest of the continent was former Spanish colonies. Right. And then there would be this very strong, like British nationalism on the East coast where the, where the 13 colonies were resisting the Spanish culture around them. Yeah. That's what it would be like. It would be weird. Yes. It would be very strange. Like, I think arguably the other place you see this kind of crop up maybe a little bit is in certain places in South America because the Spanish did not do a very good job of colonizing. There were a lot of indigenous left over. Like, like it's, I actually, quick anecdote. I was listening to two people from Mexico, two Mexicans arguing about their history and their ancestry. And one was like, F Spain, they were evil colonizers and deserve to pay us reparations. And the other one's like, bro, we are Spanish. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? We are them just as much as we are native. Yeah, you're the children of the colonizers. Yeah. But the other one's like, you might be, but I'm not. I have mostly untamed. Like, it's weird because it's not cut and dry. It's not like yeah. it, it didn't go down like it did in, you know, the United States of America where all of the indigenous were obviously different and they got genocided pretty hard, pretty close to where they are. They're just overwhelmed by everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. That wasn't as much the case in Mexico. There weren't very many Spanish to start with. (laughs) So by the time they whittled the numbers down through all the plagues that they brought over here, it was still about 50 50 or something like it probably wasn't 50 50. I don't know the exact numbers. I just know that it didn't quickly balloon up to be like, Oh yeah. Then, then Spain just kept sending more Spanish people over and you know, everyone's 90% of the population of a direct Spanish origin. And then the other right. 10% there was a lot more remaining. intermixing. Yeah. In the Spanish uh, colonies. Yeah. So they kind of did create their own unique identity of Mexico because it's so deeply intertwined that you can't really separate the two anymore. But in the United States, it was still separated, you know? And so that would be the interesting thing. Like imagine all of the Baltic States stayed together as the Baltic, like the, the Baltic nation or whatever, mm-hmm. but you have three distinct ethnic groups that all have slightly different cultures that they agree on some things, but they disagree on others. 
at some point they either need to vie for control of that or one or they'll agree that look if we can't all get what we want or if if we can't agree on what everyone else should do why don't we just do our own thing and the baltics just took it to extra step and they said fine and they just split up into three different countries mm-hmm. you know i think you know the americas realized you mean balkans by the way balkans what i say baltics baltics yeah balkans sorry it's close enough um they're on the baltic sea right are they i don't know i, don't know. I hope so or i'm gonna look really stupid right now um but i think that you know in the united back when they were the colonies they none of them were big enough to really do anything independent of the others and they were all equally worried about being subjugated by a foreign crown so they kind of had to band together to establish an identity but boy they could not agree on what that identity was good example people who argue that america is a christian nation Mm. need to go watch counter arguments video about that because uh what do you mean by that? Yeah. Because no one back in those days called themselves a Christian. You were a something else. You were a Puritan. You were a Quaker. You were a Shaker. You were an Anabaptist. They were all Christian, but they were... There as, was no Christian identity, though. Yeah. They were all different. There were many identities that fall, fell under a larger category. Yeah. Yeah, and they were different enough that they couldn't even stand to settle together a lot of the time. They they set up their own colonies sometimes because of that. Well, they were different enough that back in Europe they fought wars over it. Like <laughs> exactly. But now there's not enough of them to go around and fight about it, and no one wants to pick up like the Anabaptists don't want to pick a fight with the Shakers because they're worried the Quakers are going to have the Shakers' backs, and then the well, and there's plenty of room. It's the New World. Yeah, let's just all go that way and yeah. not even worry about it. Which is hilarious to see those maps where it's the 13 colonies with straight lines dr- drawn straight out into the west. And they like fade into obscurity because they don't actually know they don't how far know it goes. They don't know what's out there? Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> there is an alternate universe where it's still just the 13 colonies and the the map of America looks kind of like its flag with the stripes. <laughs> 13 it's stripes just, going just across going straight continent. across the continent. Yeah, <laughs> that is an alternate history that definitely would have happened if people had their way certain people had their way and Rhode Island would have been screwed, unfortunately, because they were landlocked from the get go. Then they really could have been an Island kind of, kind of. So, so yeah, I don't know. It, it, I think that is an interesting thing. So even if you take it down to that small level, I think what you end up with, if you add the right mixture in of there's no one has a solid enough majority that the only thing they can all agree on is to disagree and just set up barriers between each other to not let any of them take over what the other one wants to do. And that's where you end up with things like the American Constitution, which says, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. No one gets to tell anybody else what's to do. Fair? Fair. Okay, we can all at least agree on that. We'll go be Catholic in Maryland. You can be Shakers and Quakers up in Pennsylvania. We don't care. We ain't got time for this. And none of us can I eke out a majority to figure it out. So... We're just not gonna. We're just not gonna. We're gonna establish the minimal possible identity and go from there. And that's what you got. So this took a weird turn. This episode was very strange. Yes. Yeah, we started talking about communism and now we're talking about in America. <laughs> so read into that what you will, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we're gonna name this episode. I'll... The listeners know the what listen. I ended up calling it. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll know by this time. We don't even know now. Weird transient thing. So maybe a more formally put together topic next week. <laughs> Philosophers. Philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> 
you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.